I wanted to tell the story today because I wanted to share with you all that's happened. A, a lot of people have asked me for the entire story and it doesn't do any justice for me to share uh, bits and parts of it because again, I'm not the first person who's lost a father. But boy, was it different. Man. <laughs> I've walked through a lot of families who've lost loved ones and uh, this was something else. Um, it started just before Christmas. My, my father stopped, I saw his appetite go down I saw his uh, body uh, started to get weaker, and a lot of people will tell you, old people, they get dehydrated, right? They don't drink enough. He just had a surgery to remove a kidney and a ureter, so he's down to one kidney, and so, you know, you, all of a sudden you start seeing, you know, maybe he's not adapting very well. He's, so I spent a week at his place, uh, at my mother's place, to nurse him, to, you know, force feed, drink. <laughs> Um, I'm like, drink. And so he got progressively better every day, which was good. And then I was tired after six days uh, straight of it. And then all of a sudden, I saw him take a step back. And I said, I had enough. I can't do this anymore. I've got to take you into the hospital. And so even he is like, let me wait half an hour first. And so we took him to the hospital. They put some IV in him. And he was bouncing after I putting IV, and they took a chest X-ray, and there was nothing wrong, no no infection because anytime you go in, anytime you go in, they take a chest X-ray just to see if there's any infections, and they said no infections. So, all right. So about two o'clock in the morning, I was like, we're just gonna keep him for a couple of nights just to make sure he's okay. I was like, that's fine. And I came back um, five o'clock in the morning. Uh, I slept at McDonald's for two hours, which was more comfortable than the emergency room. And then I saw, came back and he was already up going to the washroom by himself. And I was like, all right, you're good. I'm going to go check on mom. So I, this is the play of the only child. You, you go from the hospital, you go and check her on mom at her, at her house. And then I get there. She's like, I'm not feeling really well. And I said, well, what's going on? And I said, well, I, I got a little numb. She's always had this nervous numbness that bounces around her body. But then she's like, I'm also a little bit woozy and dizzy. And I was like, oh, that's not good. And um, my dad was in Burnaby Hospital because that's where he had a surgery. My mom has a somewhat of a record at Royal Columbian uh, where all the neural stuff goes through and stroke stuff goes through. And so I decided to take her there just as a precaution. So I'm driving her to Royal Columbian Hospital on December 29th now. As I'm driving into the uh, parking lot at the emergency room at Royal Columbia Hospital, I get a phone call and on the call display said Burnaby Hospital, where my dad is. So I figured there's a checking updating me and uh, I get a call, it's from the ER doctor. Some doctors don't know how to communicate with people. They, they know how to heal people. But uh, this guy was pretty blunt. He says, yeah, you know, I see, I, I see his checks yesterday, no infection, uh, but I see interesting spots. And I'm pretty sure it's cancer and it's really widespread. So I'm, I'm parking a lot. My mom's in a car. She doesn't understand much English, but he, she can hear the word cancer. And I said, well, okay, do, we, do I have time to put, um, my mom's got issues right now. Do I have time to take her into the hospital? She says, yeah, 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 take your time. And I said, okay. So I... I uh, get on the phone uh, asking for some friends who know my mom because I knew that my mom was going to just be a few hours hopefully. It turned into about 10 hours at that hospital, but I needed to get back to the other hospital. So I, I, I text 
a few friends who could be available and one came and met my mom after my mom was cleared but just needed some run through some other tests after that my first phone call was to our friend Wade Woodard and, and I told him this is not looking good <laughs> and uh, he prayed with me and then he blasted a, a prayer request out to the world and all of a sudden a gazillion people were start start praying I went back to the hospital uh, to my dad's hospital the ER doctor showed me the x-ray and he says those spots I don't know what they are but we're gonna put them through some CT scans but I'd be surprised if they're not cancer and I'd be surprised if he's got more than three months and I said okay and I'm sitting here hearing all this and then I told him I I don't know how you're saying it or what is it about you're saying in fact you you're pretty you're pretty straight to the point <laughs> there's no sugar coating no uh you know yeah He's just like, boom, 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 three months. I was like, okay. I said, I, I, I don't know what you're saying um, and how you're saying it, but there's an incredible amount of peace in my mind. And I don't know why. I can't explain why. And then he, and he said to me, he said, you know, this x-ray, if it was from a 55-year-old man, it would be devastating. But this is an 85-year-old man. He's lived a good life. He's got a son like you you know it's not a bad way to go <laughs> and then it just gave me laser focus on what needs to happen between now between that point and my father passing away was for him to receive Jesus Christ nothing else mattered his health doesn't didn't matter people were giving me ideas maybe you should try Chinese medicine maybe you should try this but don't give up on that I was like look gonna deal with reality and reality says He's got a short period of time to live. So that's all on this side of heaven. It means nothing if he gets another five years here and doesn't and, and not see Jesus. When the doctor says you have three months, there's a possibility of going home. And we were in the process of taking him home. That was until he had a bowel bleed. One day the doctor shoved all the all the uh, visitors away and just wanted to talk to me and says, "Look, he's looked like his, his stomach is bleeding." They were going to give him some stuff to try to stop it, but at that stage, they don't heal anything. They don't try to, you're not going, you're not putting an 85-year-old in the last three months of life through a colonoscopy to figure out what's wrong. <laughs> There's none of that. They're just going to try to stop it. And so we stayed at the hospital that night to be with him. When you think you have three months, you're saying, okay, maybe I'll share the Christ with him tomorrow. Maybe I'll do this tomorrow. Maybe, but all of a sudden, you went from, okay we've got this amount of time we can take our time to kind of process this to no you got to do it now there's no other time to wait a friend of mine brought my mom into the hospital for me so i didn't have to go back and come back again it's a really good friend of mine she told me that her husband uh, has a lot of experience speaking to people uh, by their bedside and uh, about jesus and i said in, in cantonese because my cantonese ain't that great um, I was I shared my father's eulogy in Cantonese during the service what people don't realize was my brain was about to explode so I said yes I mean you got to do everything you can now right and so he came in and he's my, my friends my friend's husband is a really eager guy and he's really anxious he, he really wants to share Jesus with him and, and um, he starts to share about Jesus to my father a lot of times we like the message of Jesus we like the hope we like the salvation we like the eternal life but in order to receive all that 
we need to acknowledge a couple of things. We need to acknowledge that we need Jesus because we're people who have come short of the glory of God. And oftentimes, that's like, what do you mean I'm a... Which is what my dad's always said. What do you mean I'm a sinner? What do you mean I'm not good enough? What do you mean? Like, and on surface, just like the doctor said, you know, he's 85, he lived a good life, he's good enough, you know, he's, he's, good, he's good to go. <laughs> and so telling a man he's not good enough, on, a, well, on maybe his deathbed, <laughs> that, was, that was hard on him. It was so hard that he was nodding and saying yes to all the goodness of God, but then when it came time to challenge him and say, hey, would you, would you accept Jesus into your heart because of your shortcomings, because of our sinful shortcomings as human beings, all of a sudden I can see his face kind of shrink. It's like, oh, no. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there by his bedside. I'm watching this all happen. And if you know me, I'm not this charismatic. I'm a, a pretty conservative guy. But... The words that came out of my mouth as I was praying was, God, cast out whatever is causing him to shrink. It looked like, literally looked like somebody was grabbing his heart and pulling him back from Jesus at the mention of his name. I've seen it happen before. Never thought, it would, never think it was my father. <laughs> After 20 minutes or so he kind of fell asleep and my friend my friend's husband was wanting to be there for a little bit longer and so we're just having a nice conversation chatting and, and uh, all of a sudden my dad wakes up his eyes wide open the first thing he sees is my friend's husband and he says who is he he is a murderer he is a demon possessed man get him out of here i'm scared of him and my friend, who's never had that happen to him before, was shocked. And yet I knew exactly what was happening because I asked the Lord to cast out whatever the heck was grabbing him, holding on to him tight. Again, I'm a conservative guy. I, I, I don't normally call for the Lord to cast out demons and get in. But all of a sudden I saw that just release. <laughs> he said it so loud that the whole ward heard him in Cantonese. And so as I was walking my friend out, the nurse said to me, what happened in there? And I said, oh, he just woke up and, and, uh, and got scared. And, and we were talking to him about faith because I don't shy away from that in, in the hospital. And, he, and the nurse, who comes from a Catholic background, and she said, uh, lately I've just felt some really strange spiritual like, things like weighing down on this, this ward. I was like, how, how long have you felt that? And she's like, uh, a couple of weeks or so. And I said, hey, that's when my dad moved in. <laughs> so the next day, uh, a few people came and visited my dad. There's a family friend, a uh, longtime friend of my mother. Uh, they were playing as kids back in, back, in, back, back in Hong Kong. My dad used to blame her for bringing us to church or bring, causing me to go back to church. Uh, taking away from all the plans he had for me. And when she visited and prayed and asked her to pray to him, she told me he held on to her hand really tight as she was praying for him. And then that morning, I called uh, Pastor Yi Sing Wong, uh, Vancouver Chinese's uh, pastor emeritus, 
who I'm grateful to have as a friend. And I said, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm pulling a lot of stops now. That's why I'm calling you. And, and he came uh, later that evening, spent some time with my father, prayed with him first, spent some time with my father, and uh, and eventually prayed, and my father accepted Jesus. And then the next day, some relatives came to visit, because you know, oftentimes people on their deathbed they'll say a lot of things. I'm even reminded by Ray Woodard that uh, oftentimes what we don't realize we're doing is we're forcing a loved one who is in their deathbed to say things to make us feel happy. And they'll just say it, but maybe not mean it. <laughs> and um, I didn't want that to happen. And then my friend, my, my, some relatives came to visit the next day. And uh, he said, oh, these people from all these churches were visiting all over the place. They're so, they're so good. Yeah. Yeah. They're, just, they're just amazing people, he, he said. And I said, all right. <laughs> he meant it when he prayed. <laughs> and he started to experience the joy of the master. I wanted to share all that with you because we don't realize what matters until reality hits. Even as Christians, we don't realize what really matters until there's a number to the days we have left on earth. There are many things we value. My dad, for one, valued family, and that's good. Good family. It's not like he made a lot of money, but a, a lot of my cousins were sponsored by him when they went overseas for education back in the day. It wasn't like they paid for it, but a lot of people wanted a secondary signature to, to, to make sure that the, the person is taken care of if, if should they ever uh, not be able to pay for something. My dad always was there to, to be the endorser of, uh, of their education. Again, not that he, I, I, I don't even know how he would have paid for it if that ever happened, but he, he signed that because he wanted a good, he wanted good for his, his relatives. And then I came along and, and he wanted a lot of dreams for me. And I shared in my dad's service, I ruined everything for him when I was 19 and became a Christian and a few years later wanted to get into Christian ministry. Not exactly what he signed up for when he had a child. It is strange though that it is so true when you're laying there in your final days, all of a sudden you realize all the dreams you had didn't really matter anymore. All the dreams that you have for your life, they're temporary. 70, 80, 90 years, maybe. Maybe 100, I met a 102 year old lady the other day. But really, they're temporary. We think about eternity like it's all here. <laughs> this is all we think about. And yet, life continues on and on and on and on after our time here on earth is done. There's no end to that. There's not a string long enough for that because there's no end. And all we think about is here. We're trapped in this because we're right now people. We want to be right now. We want to take a look at right now. This whole life on earth is sometimes an entrapment because we feel like this is all there is. 
even as a church, we often turn church into an entrapment because we're so focused on making sure there's something going on here every Sunday. We want to make sure that everything keeps up, you know. We want to make sure there's enough money to renovate the building. We want to make sure there's enough people to come in. We want to make sure that uh, make sure everything's good so people can come. <laughs> but what is it all for? What is it all for that we go through life, we go through work, we go through death? For freedom in Galatians chapter 5, Christ sets us free. For freedom, Christ sets us free. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Christ sets us free. Not wealth, not church, but the head of the church, Jesus Christ, sets us free. Free from, as verse 1 continues, stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Slavery, not in a sense of the possession of human beings by people who are richer, but slavery to all the things that we think as human beings are important today. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. We think different things are valuable. We think different things are important. The slavery that, that is of Galatians 5 is all the things that we trap ourselves in. What are the traps in your life today? And I dare ask, what are the traps in the life of the church today? We have to realize that it means nothing if it weren't for Jesus. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Circumcision back in the day was our baptism today. Our church attendance today. Our allegiance to God today by words. He says, Paul says, you can come to church. You can get baptized. You can go to all your fellowships, all your small groups, do all the Bible studies, come to your Sunday circle, do all this stuff. And it means nothing. Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace, for we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters at the end of verse 6 is faith working through love. What matters is not what you do. What matters is your faith, your heart, working through your love for Jesus. Love 
is the foundation of a relationship. Love is a trust in a person. Not for companionship. A lot of people will get married today because they've been seeing this person for three, four years and it's easier to get married than it is to break free. <laughs> we entrap ourselves, we're slaved, we sometimes are slaved to the love of the world. But what matters in verse 6 is faith working through love. The love of our relationship with Jesus. A trust in God that He died for our sins. When we have that, when we function with that love, it conquers all the other love in the world. And it also is the basis of all the other love in the world. But the love of God is vital. Is vital not because you're going to go through tough times, but because it's the basis of your life. It's the basis of who you are. In verse 7, Paul continues, You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little help. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded in the Lord. You will not accept any other view. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if, I'm still if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. The disturbance in our lives is just countless and if we're not careful and if we're just paying attention to the world they come at you in droves i've known my father for 37 years of his 85 years and those were supposedly the, the easier years in his life compared to his earlier years he was born during the war second world war and you think you've seen all the disturbances when you're a kid. He tells me the story sometimes of, or told me the story sometimes of his, his his grandpa grabbing onto his wrist, and they would just run from bunker to bunker, dodging from bombs in the Japanese back in World War Two. And sometimes I think those those visual, like this is crisis, is actually easier than the everyday disturbance the everyday disturbance that, that you and I go through because of what we're concerned of that really if you think about it doesn't really matter the next day or the day after you will keep going we think our jobs if you think your job is the, is, is the be all and the end all guess what if you lose it you will keep going now, if you, if you decide to let yourself lose it after you lose a job, that's a different story. But all the opportunities that God closes means another door is being opened. And our job is not to feel sorry for ourselves, but our job is to seek what God's doing and follow Him. But we act like, you know, it's the end of the world. Today, cancer is just another word. 
I realized what, I'm go what I went through is inconveniences compared to other people. But we often think that it's the end of the world. We often think, now it's tough to tell people and, and remind myself that I'm not the first person who's ever lost a parent. You're not the first person who has ever gone through whatever hardship you're going through. But yet, if, if we feel sorry for ourselves, we become enslaved to it. And we feel like we're trapped in it. Those disturbances take us away from the glory of God. Those disturbances take us away from what God is actually doing. What he's actually doing is he's actually trying to bless you. And oftentimes, in those times, we start cursing God because we think coming to church every Sunday is going to make everything okay. That was never the message of Jesus Christ. But we make it into one because that just makes us feel better. To, in mid-December, before all this went down, I took my dad to, he was getting weaker, I took him to see a doc, to see his specialist, and uh, at that point I had a feeling we're, we're going to be dealing with something really bad here. The specialist looked at him and said, he doesn't look good. Let's get him a scan here, scan there, everywhere. And I was like, yeah. As I'm driving home, I said to him, so what do you think about, like you're, you're still okay now, what, what, what do you think about uh, heaven and hell? There's, there's going to be a day where you're not going to be here. We didn't know it was going to be in less than two months, but there's going to be a day that you're not going to be here. What do, you, what, what do you think of heaven? Oh, it's just something the church made up so that we will all be happy. And then they can get donate money. We can laugh at that. But in reality, maybe that's all we've shared to people about Jesus. Maybe that's all people know about Jesus. And not the truth that he came to save so that we may be in with eternity with him. You see, in verse 13, Paul says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you'll be consumed with one another. The love of God calls us to be free. And if you look back in your life, wherever you are, even if you're 16 or younger, remember the last time you thought this was going to be the end of the world for you? Remember the last time you thought, oh, you're in so much trouble? You remember that time? You're still here. But at that time, you thought you were going to be in so much trouble. You thought I was even in the world. You always, we always think that our circumstances are beyond control, and yet God is always there. He sent His Son to set us free. Let me wrap up with one thing. 
when you think of heaven and hell, and when you think of the afterlife, when you think of death, but when you think of a natural occurrence of life and death, my dad had had a typical one. He was 85, and so he went through life. He worked, got married, had a child, got to, got to the hospital at the end, passed away. And in the hospital bed, he had an opportunity to wrestle with his life. He thought everything was great. He thought everything was fine until death came a knocking. Now, sometimes he was coming in and out of consciousness because uh, the, the cancer went into his bones. Um, our bones are, are where calcium is stored. And so when cancer goes into your bones, what happens is your body tries to compensate for what it thinks is the loss of calcium by producing more calcium. And then your, and it rushes to your head and calcium actually causes, too much calcium causes us to be disoriented uh, and we lose cognitive abilities because of it. So he was coming in and out of that. And, and so sometimes, I have to tell him three times that he had cancer and he's about to die. And after the third time, I said, I've done my job. <laughs> uh, he's, he, and sometimes he doesn't remember. Sometimes I think maybe he's just pretending. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, but what I do know is that he was wrestling with it. I saw him wrestling. So I saw him wrestling with, with some realities. And yeah, and I'm so grateful that he had the opportunity to wrestle with those realities. The question or the reality is not all of us get to be 85 in a deathbed wrestling with what our lives were like. As one nurse reminded me, I could have died before he did by driving back and forth in the hospital all the time. Life on earth is temporary. My father was blessed with an opportunity to process through his entire life before he passed away. But that's not always a guarantee. We're not guaranteed that opportunity. So for those of us who's, who thinks that we, we can wait till then before we come to terms with Jesus, we're not always given that opportunity. There's no time to wait and no time to set up eternity more than now. He'll love you. Even if you're 85 and been cursing him for 84 years of your life, he'll love you. But why not now? Why not set yourself free now? Let's pray together. Lord Father, I, I thank you for, for saving my dad. And I thank you for saving all those in this building that's yours today who have received your love. And Father, thank you for blessing us with the freedom. And Father, I ask for your forgiveness for the times of my life that I've refused the freedom. And I ask for mercy, as I know you give, to those who are in this building today 
and to those who are surrounding this building today in our, in our neighborhoods and surrounding our lives who have yet to receive this freedom. Father, I pray that you will do whatever it is that is possible. Cast out whatever things there are inside people's hearts so that they too can experience this freedom. And yes, you will grant us this freedom at 85 and a half. But why not when we're 20? Why not when we're 15? Why not when we're 30 or 40 or 50? Why not today? It's a whole lot better today than it is to wonder. So Father, help us get rid of all the laziness in our lives. Help us get rid of the procrastinations that keeps us from you. And help us rid of all the distractions as your servant Paul had written so cleverly that hinder us from experiencing you. Father, thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.